Welcome to the Body Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara. You can expect new episodes each Wednesday that are educational, inspiring, and honest surrounding various women's health topics, spirituality, and so much more. The Body Wisdom Podcast was brought to life by integrating the physical and emotional body to deepen one's healing journey. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Functional Fertility. I'm so excited for today's episode. I know we're going to get some good stuff out of this episode today because in this episode, we are diving deep into IBS and how to go about addressing it. When I first got my IBS diagnosis, I was told it was random, idiopathic, and there was nothing that we could do about it besides go on a low FODMAP diet and see if that helps along with antidepressants and antispasmodic prescription medications to help calm the GI tract. Um, but we were missing the bigger picture. And that's why I invited my beautiful friend, Hannah Aylward here, who specialize in the, specializes in this in her practice to chat about it. So welcome, Hannah. How are you today? I am doing so good. Um, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I was just telling Hannah before the show, I was like, I feel like I've been following you for the longest time and I'm just like now connecting with you. And you have so, I was just looking at your website. I'm like, holy crap. This <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We're, we're, we've been rocking and rolling over here. Yeah, seriously. You have like a full team and everything like, oh, I love it. I love it. So before we get into the nitty gritty of IBS, would you be able to share with our audience today? Like what led you here? How, how did Hannah's story begin? Why are you so passionate about this topic in particular? Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, this could be the whole episode. <laughs> You know, so I feel like most of us come to this field because of our own struggles. And um, yeah, I mean, I think my my health journey really began at a young age, purely just to like control the size of my body. Like it was like diet, 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 trying to be in a thin body. The irony is, is I've always been in a thin body. It was like a very just, you know, mental inner lacking inner self-love lacking love from myself my own body all the things so it was like chronically dieting under eating you know the whole story that is a lot of women's story counting almonds in a ziploc bag like you know what i mean like just the 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 really hard times that we've all been through and so grateful to be out the other side of that and have like so much more respect and and like adoration for my body um but you know like any everything lean cuisines and then restricting binging and like keto and all the things so it, it really started from you know not the best intention and I like to be honest with that because that's just like the reality of my story and over the years of really just trying it all and and having it all fail you know because it I wasn't dealing with the inner issues and um, I was just jumping from thing to thing, quick fix to quick fix. And I didn't really understand that like this healthy lifestyle could be that a lifestyle. Like I thought it was a chronic diet. It was just a restrictive diet my whole life. And, um, you know, you couple that with like trauma and, you know, the idea that we need to look a certain way and be a certain size and familial, you know, patterning and whatever. And, um, I ended up with like really bad gut issues <laughs> because when you heavily restrict and, don't like yourself. I mean, you're going to develop issues, right? So I ended up at the height of everything. I was like 
113 pounds and I'm 5'8 and I was like whoa like this is not cool and then I couldn't digest anything it was like healthy foods were taking me off apples sweet potatoes right I was like what's going on I'm eating all these whole healthy foods I thought this was right (laughs) I thought this was it right like what's going on and I had kind of developed these gut issues through the through this really long process years of chronically dieting and over exercising and training for a half marathon and you know the, the story that is a lot of our story so Um, that's really how I got here. And I'm so fortunate and grateful that something along the way allowed me to see that health was so much more than the way that I looked and what I weighed in my pant size. And it took me a long time to get there. But then I started really, you know, understanding like, well, there's so there's so much more here. And I get so pissed (laughs) at diet culture, because the first time that I uh, kind of understood or the first time I even thought to eat quote unquote healthy was to control the size of my body, not to feel better, not to have more energy, not to have better sleep or higher libido or whatever, you know, it was like just the size of my body. So I I always like get just so pissed that at a young age, that's how I was introduced to it. But I, I kind of started hearing about this gut health, like what is gut health? And, and I was reading um, Dr. Alejandro Younger's work. That's who really started to introduce me. He's a functional medicine doctor. And he was talking about the gut, gut microbiome. And I was like, wait, this influences everything. Like this can help my mood. This can help my energy. There's so much here. And he really helped me shift how I viewed my body um, and wanting to take care of my body and how it influenced my mind and how it influenced my mood. And then I was, you know, out of college, I was working in New York City for a few health and wellness companies. And I was, we had all these people come in and these experts in the field, and they all had this common through line of the gut microbiome, whether they were talking about hormones, or they were talking about longevity, or they were talking about digestive issues or skin, it all came back to the gut. And I was like, why aren't more people talking about this? So I just dove in head first. And that's what really let me let, you know, led me here. Mm, wow. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. I'm curious, like when you were a little girl, like what, what triggered that? What triggered like Hannah to be like, Oh, I need to be smaller. Like, was there something, was it, do you think it was the media? Like what really contributed to that? You think? Oh my gosh, so much, but largely I'd say influences in my family, you know, like without calling, calling someone out, (laughs) I would say, you know, I had comments made to me and I also used to like sing and dance and act a lot. I was like in Disney channel commercials and things like that. So it was like my appearance was really put on a pedestal at a very young age. I was always on stage. I mean, there's like videos of me singing and dancing on a stage at like age two. So, um, I mean, I still love, I love me some dancing and singing. Um, but it's like my heart, my heart and soul. Um, but it's like, it was, it was put at a level of importance, like so early on. And then you couple that with societal norms and also like, you know, uh, familial trauma, like things that run in my genes, how p- the other women in my family feel about their bodies and things like that. And it was kind of a, a storm, you know, the perfect storm to create me um, to be so young. I mean, I probably got on my first diet at like 11 or 12, you know, um, it's like devastating to think about. So, you know, and at the height of all of it, I was like, we've got to work through this because we're not giving this to our, to my daughter, my future daughter. I'm not giving this to my future daughter. So that kind of also helped me pull out of it a little bit. And then, you know, I see a lot of women that I work with today, like we also have to work through this stuff because whether they were given low FODMAP and that triggered eating disorder tendencies or, or, you know, just like restrictive tendencies, 
um, or they have similar patterning. You know, we, I feel like we always attract the clients that like have similar stories to us. So I always get the women who have some sort of history with that. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about this. Or, you know, it's, it's a part they, their relationship with food is really frayed too. So there's so much involved in this process. You know, it's not just like gut bacteria. <laughs> it's like yeah. so, so many levels to all this. Yeah so multifaceted and I can totally relate to your story. Just like you said, so many women can relate. I'm one of those women. I remember going on diets with my mom Mm -hmm. when I was like in the fifth grade. Yeah. And that is just, I, yeah, I don't want that for my daughter either. And it's, it's something that, yeah, she didn't love her body. She didn't love where she was at. And this is not calling my mom out by any means. Like we've, we've talked about this and I, I love her so much. Um, she was just doing what she knew at the time. And that was what was in the media. Like everything, everyone needs to be small and lean and tone, even still today. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's like a perfect body that is put on a pedestal and people are striving towards that and not caring about the health of our insides, the health of our our mental. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of just ignoring that and just diving into the aesthetics of things. Like if you look good on the outside, you are praised Mm -hmm. for that. So yeah, it's, it it goes really deep and that whole familial trauma piece is is really huge. So I wanted to mention that because a lot of people are like not really bridging that gap or really connecting the dots. Like where did this all begin? And Mm -hmm. it started when you're really, really young. So that diet culture piece, I remember like, um, eating special K thinking Mm -hmm. that was healthy, like growing up all the 100 calories, special K bars or like five or one bars. When I thought that was just like so good for my gut and like Mm -hmm. my my bowel movements and all of that, even what you mentioned about like going on a low FODMAP diet or Mm -hmm. any type of therapeutic diet Mm -hmm. handed to you by a practitioner. um, Sometimes that can trigger that for some people. So I'm curious, um, as a practitioner yourself, do you find low FODMAP diets to be helpful in any case or? I mean, I think, I think the the purpose of it and where it really like originated and how it can be used is like mostly I'd say in the case of SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Right. And it, when it came out as like a therapeutic diet, like it's not meant to be used long-term, right? We're meant to reintroduce. We're meant to get off of it. I think it's around like six weeks. Like you should not be on it very long. Mm-hmm. Um, do I find it helpful for certain cases? Sometimes I do. Um, there's like biphasic diet, you know, by Dr. Neurology Kobe. Like it can be helpful um, for symptoms, like immediately, you know, in the, in the short term. But if we're not dealing with the underlying issue, there's no reason to be on it long term. And I always ask my clients, like, do you actually notice a difference when you're on it? Are you just on it because you're scared to get off of it? Are you just on it because you've been told to be on it? Because I have clients that do have SIBO and they're fine with like apples or broccoli, but they can't eat the garlic. So I like to keep in as many foods in the rotation as possible. And, you know, I think it's, can it be helpful sometimes? Um, but my goal is always to get people off of that and to increase the diversity, you know, as, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Now you brought up SIBO Mm -hmm. just for everyone who doesn't know what SIBO Mm -hmm. is. What is SIBO? Yeah. SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is like a mouthful. (laughs) We'll just call it SIBO. And and basically what it means is we've got an overgrowth 
of bacteria in the small intestine when most of, most of our gut bacteria is should be located in the large intestine or, or colon, right? So when we talk about the gut microbiome and we talk about like probiotics are good for my gut health, we're kind of talking about feeding them in the large intestine or colon, you know? So it's it's not even necessarily that there's overgrowth of the of like quote unquote bad bacteria. It can just be that it's not in the right place. So it's it's really like a dislocation, like a motility issue. Why are they why are they overgrowing in the small intestine when we should have most of these guys in the large intestine? Yes. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that connect to IBS? Well, I guess let's first answer the question, what is IBS before yeah. we can use them? Yeah, IBS is stands for irritable bowel syndrome, and it's kind of diagnosed through the Rome criteria. I mean, basically how I view it is you go to the doctor, you get some tests, they'll run um, probably a colonoscopy, maybe an endoscopy, and then um, your results will come back normal, or they'll do some blood work, blood work and you'll it will all look normal and you're still having issues, right? You're maybe dealing with bloating, constipation, diarrhea could be all of those things could be two of those things, one of those things, whatever. And, um, you know, you're having an interruption in your, in your digestive function, but there's no actual real cause that can be found. So, you know, when we work with people, we look to, to, to dig into what could be causing that because in my opinion, there's always something causing that, right? Um, It could, and it's usually more than one thing, right? It's not just like one thing that's causing it either. So um, IBS is really, it's a collection of symptoms. A syndrome is just a collection of symptoms like PCOS, right? Like it's any syndrome is a collection of symptoms. So it's not a root cause. It's, it doesn't give us any insight into what is causing your issues. So on, you know, in my business, that's what we do. We look to identify what's causing your issues working through that and then helping people get better. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that 95% of IBS cases can actually come back down to SIBO, which is still not the root cause because you mentioned it being a motility issue Mm -hmm. and what slows down the motility. We'll get into that. Yeah. But, um, so how, how does one besides going on a low fat FODMAP diet, how does one really eradicate SIBO? Because this guy is tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. Um, you know, oh gosh, it's, it's kind of like a loaded question (laughs) because there, there is a lot involved in it. And when we look at SIBO cases, you know, we do want to work on eradicating the bacteria that is important, eradicating the overgrowth, but it is also like, what I try to do is I try to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Like I'm kind of like a detective, like half my job is being a detective. How did we get here? Right. What's going on and how did we get here? And we need to figure out what conditions set the body up to be at this, in this place. Right. Because not everyone develops SIBO. So something has been going on, whether it was an instant like food poisoning that interrupts motility, or it was kind of over the years, things are getting worse and worse. And then we've interrupted this motility and we've led to this overgrowth. So it's not just the eradication of the, of the quote unquote bad gut bacteria or, or overgrown gut bacteria that's in the small intestine. And that's where I think a lot of the traditional ways don't really hit the mark because it's, you're just given an antibiotic and, and maybe you're given two, right. But the, the popular ones you're given an antibiotic and what that's working on is the gut bacteria, but what it's not working on is motility or digestive output. So stomach acid, bile flow, pancreatic enzyme secretion. Um, what it's not looking at is nervous system, vagus nerve, you know, all of these other things that play a part um, could be liver congestion, could be like 
you're living in a moldy building. Like there's so many things that could play a part in this. So we, we want to work on eradicating the overgrowth, but we also want to work on basically like not regenerating, but like rejuvenating, I guess the entire digestive tract. Right. And, and identifying like how you got here. Was it because of years of chronic dieting? Was it because of food poisoning? That's a big cause of it as well. But I see a lot of people that that's the cause. And I see a lot of people that it's kind of just developing over years. Um, Was it like thyroid medication that slows motility? Was it like birth control? Like what, what was brought into the your your own health picture to kind of get you there overuse of antibiotics i don't really think too much sugar leads to SIBO because it's not like i think too much sugar maybe could be like a candida thing but that's not what i see you know like i see that's not really what i see i see what's because it is that it is that location issue right not necessarily that we are like feeding those gut bacteria with like too much sugar or whatever so um alcohol can play a part you know they there is research showing that um those that drink have a higher risk of SIBO. Um, but I would say I see more of things developing chronic stress for sure over time. Cause what that will do is it'll decrease stomach acid. It'll put your body in that fight or flight state and everything's not working as it should. And at that moment. Yeah. And it, 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 all of it can be con- considered stress mm-hmm. and just adding to that stress buckets. And, and, so many people, so many women that I work with could probably check off the thyroid medication, the birth control, the alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably all of them, you know? Yeah. Um, so when someone is bloated or constipated, I feel like one of the first things I did at least was mm-hmm. go to the drugstore and get Metamucil or psyllium husk or whatever it is, mm-hmm. the fiber that I thought I was missing. And because my doctor told me like, just increase your fiber intake and that'll help your constipation. Mm -hmm. So this was before I knew I had IBS, but even when I had IBS, I can't remember if that was like one of the recommendations. Either way, why is this not the best recommendation to be given? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think fiber is important. I think fiber is helpful but if you are dealing with SIBO, it's probably going to make you feel a lot worse. <laughs> it's going to, it's going to, cause you're already dealing with that overgrowth of bacteria. So when we talk about something like, like FODMAPs, FODMAPs are just a type of carbohydrate that our gut bacteria break down. So when I talk to people about it, I'm like, it's not, it's not, you don't have a FODMAP issue. You've got a gut bacteria issue. Right. And then we trace that back and it's like, you've got a motility issue. <laughs> so it's like, it's not just getting rid of FODMAPs forever. And in the case of fiber, fiber is good. It helps feed our good gut bacteria. It does help thing, like keep things moving. But when you've got that imbalance, that may not be the answer for you. Sometimes it's a part of the puzzle for some people, like hydration. You know, these things are like thrown out, like drink more water, eat more fiber. And they are a part of it, but it's just not the whole story, you know? And it, and it really depends on what you have going on too. It could, it could make your symptoms worse because that fiber is feeding that gut bacteria and it's making you super bloated and gassy. And then you're like more constipated and then you're maybe nauseous because there's like so much gas in your system and it just feels awful. So it's not the right recommendation for everyone, but it can help some people. And like, maybe if you don't have SIBO, I'd say it could help more, <laughs> but be careful if you have SIBO. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know they yeah. have SIBO. They're missing that um, yeah. because I don't know, there's not, they, they're not aware of that kind of testing yet, maybe. But I feel like the fiber that I mainly get, because people forget about like fiber and fruits, mm-hmm. you know, like if we have like a nutrient rich diet in place with like mm-hmm. whole foods, properly prepared foods, 
then we probably don't have to outsource so much fiber mm -hmm. from like supplements. Um, so that is just like, that's kind of what I meant there. But, um, as far as what helped you the most with your, cause were you diagnosed with IBS? I never was. I, um, in true honesty, I had like, I've had kind of a lot of skepticism towards like the traditional way of doing things for like a really long time. So I was just didn't have the faith. Like I was never quote unquote diagnosed with it. Um, I had every symptom and all that stuff. I'm sure if I went in, they would have told me I had it, but I did see a functional medicine doctor who I was working for at the time and in New York. And she was like, it sounds like you've got some SIBO, you know? So, um, and I definitely, when I look back on it, like I, I'm sure wiped my stomach acid from just like severe stress and under eating. And, you know, it was kind of that vicious storm. So I do think I had, I had some SIBO, but it was to the point where, you know, I'm eating salads. I'm like, salads are healthy. And I'm like, so bloated. And I'm like eating an elimination diet. And I'm like, so bloated and the whole deal, you know, and then I'm like, what the heck is going on? So never quote unquote diagnosed with IBS. But I would say if I had gone in, they would have said that. Mm -hmm. And like when I entered this whole alternative health space, functional medicine space, I think the first thing I did was start increasing my vegetable intake to like seven cups of vegetables per day. And mm -hmm. I definitely had not resolved all of my gut issues. So that was not the best move for me yeah. in that moment in time because yeah, I didn't need to feed more of that overgrowth that was going on. Um, so I backed off drastically mm -hmm. and that help significantly, but now I can have, like, if I want to have broccoli in a stir fry, mm -hmm. like that is completely fine. But there was a time and place where I could not do that. I could not do that. I couldn't have onions. I can have garlic. So I understand the sensitivity around it, but I think a lot of people are kind of like, Oh, I think I had pico de gallo and I had like, it had onions in it and I can't have onions. And like, that's just really triggering for me and yada, yada, yada. So they think they need to eliminate onions for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Life. So that's kind of something I want to clear up here. Um, and hopefully this gives people a lot of faith that they can one day have these things. Um, but say it comes up on a food sensitivity test. How, let's talk about food sensitivity tests. How do you feel about them? I was literally going to make a reel about it today being like, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it's so expensive, first I, of all. Yeah, I think it's like, I mean, I will start off by saying I have literally worked with someone who got food sensitivity testing from their functional MD, right? And came back with a whole list of random things, chickpeas, lettuce. I mean, all of these like whole healthy foods, you know, and like, ironically enough, she, these are what she's eating the most of, right? So there we go. There's patterning there. That's usually what happens. It's going to, it's going to call up what you're eating the most of because you're triggering that reaction um, more. But then I've worked with her, you know, she had, she had candida, she had an underlying issue going on and there was a lot to her story, but we worked to really strengthen her, her gut and her gut function really, and repair the environment in which the food was entering. And, um, she got another test and it came back with nothing. I mean, sensitive to literally nothing. So, you know, is that the case for every single person? I'm not sure. Is that the case? You know, are you going to get there in two weeks? No. Uh, but it's going to take a, a little bit of time to get there. But I just like to share that because, you know, she was kind of left with the, with the food sensitivity. Also, she was reacting to, she didn't really know what she was reacting to at that point, you know, but um, it was like, she, did she need to eliminate those foods forever? No, 
you know, and as soon as I saw that list, I was like, girl, I don't even believe this list. <laughs> like, this is not, don't live your life by this list. And she was that type A person that's like gone and then live her life by this list. And she like loves hummus, you know? And I'm like, I don't think you need to take these things out forever. Let's work on this. Like, yes, let's reduce some of these things maybe or whatever. But sometimes they're, they bring up things that people don't even feel like they're, they are reacting to. So I'm like, listen to your body. Your body is its own food sensitivity test. You know what I mean? And And I believe that, well, a few things. I mean, I think the science behind the food sensitivity, like IgG testing is not fully there, right? I think it is super expensive. I think a lot of these companies have have kind of taken it and and sold these things thinking that it's helpful, but I don't, food sensitivities are the result of gut dysfunction. They're, I don't believe that they're the cause of gut dysfunction. I think when you're in the height of it, some of these things can be more triggering. You can maybe reduce some of these things if you feel like you are reacting to them. But I believe that they are the result of gut dysfunction. So like I said, in my story, I mean, there are a lot of things I couldn't eat and I can eat all of those things now. Um, you know, and I used to not even touch a piece of bread and I've eaten probably more gluten this year than ever before. And I'm not necessarily promoting eating bread at every meal either. I'm just saying like, I used to, I used to pay the quote unquote, pay the price for it for like three days after. And now I don't like, I can have a piece. I can go to, you know, an Italian restaurant and sit down with my family and have a piece of the fresh bread. That's like freaking delicious. And I'm okay. I don't have celiac disease. So there's that too. It's different with celiac, but I just like to use that as example so people can hold the hope and hold the faith that they can get out of it, you know, but food sensitivity testing, I think is largely inaccurate. And I think in this wellness space that can kind of be very restrictive and like a little like elitist almost, it's like, we don't need to be, we don't need to be triggering more restriction (laughs) and like this like lack of improper patterning of eating already, especially if it's not even helping. So I see a lot of women and, you know, then they're scared of these foods and I don't want that either because we know when you eat and you're scared of your food, it's automatically, you're setting yourself up for failure. You know, there's a, there's a mental and emotional and nervous system component to this too. So that's my long winded answer for like, that's not ever where I would start. I would never start with a food sensitivity test. It would like maybe, and like, we don't really use it, but like maybe be step five, but it's, it's not step one. Yeah, definitely. It all comes back to to the function of the system. Yeah. You you mentioned stomach acid and I really want to drive this home here and how important stomach acid is. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and like its importance for not only like digestive function but like I feel like it plays a big role with our mental health, skin, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's all connected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stomach acid is, it's so important and it helps us break down protein. So it helps us, you know, break down our protein so we can better digest, digest it. And it also is like really that first chemical barrier to protect us from the outside world. So, you know, I feel like I've said this a million times in my career, but it's like when we eat something from the outside world, whether it's an apple from like Walmart or a local food, food market or farmer's market, or I mean, whole foods, whatever, like there, there are things, there's bacteria and microorganisms around us all the time that we can't see. So our stomach acid is really there to protect us. How amazing the body already has that naturally, you know, it's there to really protect us and prevent these things from infecting us, parasites, bacteria, weird things like, you know, picking up like eating a street cart food, whatever, um, food from a street cart, but it's not just food from a street cart, like there's stuff around us all the time. So 
um, it protects us from these things. So when we are suffering with with low stomach acid, not only are we not going to be able to produce, you know, or break down our food properly, but it, we're also going to be at higher risk for infection and and overgrowth and things like that. Um, and then, you know, stomach acid is also kind of like the conductor in the orchestra in regards to triggering pancreatic enzyme release and bile flow as well. So it helps digestion as a whole, right? It, it, it ends up not even just being proteins. It helps us further break down all sorts of food, carbohydrates, fatty foods, things like that. So um, it's really so, so important. I mean, I see a lot of people with not enough stomach acid. Um, and that's what's going to cause, you know, food to just basically maldigested food that's going into the digestive tract that's then sitting there and fermenting and causing bloating. And it sounds kind of gross, and it is kind of gross. But like, that's where the bloating is coming from, you know, so you've got to have that. And the last thing I'll say is, as well as like, when you don't, you know, you do want to increase stomach acid, but it's similar to stress because sometimes women will come to me and say, I don't know, maybe this is just my anxiety that's causing these gut issues. And I'm like, listen, if you're in the hospital for your digestive issues, I do not think it is just your anxiety because here is what happens. Like when we are stressed, we will secrete less stomach acid. We will, our blood flow will go away from our GI tract. We will be able to hold less in our stomach. And when that happens over and over and over again, it's going to lead that that has a physiological like impact, right? That's going to impact our digestive health. Your body can handle some stress here and there, but if you've been chronically stressed for years, that's when we do end up with something like dysbiosis or SIBO or whatever. So um, it's the same thing with stomach acid. You can eat in a fight or flight state, you know, every once in a while and get away with it. Your body can recover. But if you've been eating like that for years, you're setting yourself up for that bigger issues down the line because of just how the, the digestive tract really works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And I don't think enough women know that because when they feel bloated, they're like, Oh, I'll just, I don't know. They maybe start like cutting out a food or a food group. Like maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Um, or maybe they just supplement with a probiotic. Mm-hmm. I actually want to talk about this since you, you run a lot of GI maps in your practice, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, what, what is, what are your thoughts on probiotics? Like, is there a specific kind that you tend to lean towards? And like, if someone were to have dysbiosis going on, maybe like not enough of the good bacteria mm-hmm. are, uh, is there an instance where probiotics are safe? Is there an instance when they're not like, why is this not a go-to for everyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think probiotics can be great. I think, you know, what I'll ask people in our first call or whatever is I'll ask like, hey, do probiotics make you more bloated? Or, you know, some people will take probiotics and they'll have like diarrhea or they'll they'll make them more constipated or they'll make them more bloated. And to me, that's kind of a sign that we're dealing with an overgrowth of some sort. You know, that's how you can kind of like check it at home. That's not always the case, but that's kind of like a gut check, I guess, you know, um, and it's a way that you can kind of see. But I'd say mostly like we use a lot of spore based probiotics. Yeah. So that's what we like shown to like more so survive stomach acid and actually get to where we want it to go. Cause remember, you know, when we, there's just the probiotic industry is like so huge now and everyone, and I feel like everyone who is involved in their health at all knows what a probiotic is, but it's like, do we know what it's even doing and where it's supposed to go? You know? So it's like, it's supposed to really populate in that colon, that large intestine, but 
is it getting to where it needs to go? So I think spore-based probiotics do that a little better. That's typically what we use. Um, and then we do use others, like when someone has um, like low secretory IgA, or maybe they are dealing with a candida fungal overgrowth, or they're dealing with um, maybe diarrhea, or they're dealing with H. pylori, like we'll bring in something called Saccharomyces boyardii. That's another great one. It's technically like a yeast, um, not necessarily bacteria, but we find that helpful. And then, you know, sometimes we will see people's GI maps come back with more of these histamine producers. So they'll have uh, sensitivity to, you know, histamines. Um, And some of these probiotic strains can trigger that. So we'll use a certain strain or a certain kind of combination that has fewer histamine producers um, to help them with that as well. So it, it does, that's where it gets a little individualized. I would say, generally speaking, what I would feel comfortable being like, hey, you can try this one out, see if it works, would be like a spore-based probiotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love spore-based probiotics. I think they're kind of like the king of the industry is what I like to call them. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I first started them like years ago, um, I had tried them out and I think it was like too soon for my system. And I also didn't follow the, the titrate instruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it felt awful. Like it just made all my symptoms like 10 times worse. So I backed off for a bit and tried them again later, followed the instructions and they were awesome. So they can serve a time and a place. And I like using them too. Same with the sac Bilardi. Um, so I guess what, what kind of gut issues did you experience Hannah? Like after the disordered eating and just like all the reducing foods and all that stuff, what did that show up for you as? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just like constant bloating. Like I was all, I was just always bloated and I think I was, I was having bowel movements, but they weren't like the best. And they were kind of just like only triggered by coffee, you know? And, um, but I was, I was, I was always bloated and lots of burping. Like even as a little girl, (laughs) my mom took me to the doctor. She was like, this is not normal. And, you know, I went to the doctor with burping and I was like, humiliated as a five-year-old, you know, and now I'm like, it means something different. But, um, the doctor just said like, Oh, she swallows a lot of air, you know? And I'm like, what? (laughs) So some people will come to me and they'll say, my doctor told me it's because I drink out of a straw. And I'm like, I do not think that your severe bloating making you look six months pregnant is coming from you drinking out of a straw. Like that feels ridiculous to me in true honesty um can it add a little bit of air I guess so but like and so can like seltzers yes right but like is it is that causing your severe pain no it's just not you know so the doctor said that to me and I you know my mom was like this is so weird like you're burping all the time and um you know there was no solution surprise surprise but Um, I, even as a little girl, I had issues, like I had parasites, I would get things like that. And I was on loads of antibiotics because I got, um, tons of sinus infections. Like I would, every single year I would get like two or three sinus infections. One of them would turn into bronchitis. I mean, I've taken like a million Z-packs, you know? And so it was a combination. Like mine was like perfect storm, right? It was like, I wasn't breastfed for very long, parasites, antibiotics, antibiotics, low, low quality food as a little girl. I'm eating chocolate chip muffins and toaster strudels and fruit loops, you know, the whole deal, just like the standard American diet. And both my parents are entrepreneurs, they're working, they're not cook, you know, neither of them are staying home to like cook us homemade food. We shopped at Whole Foods and stuff, but like, that doesn't really, you know, we, we brought bought like maybe better cuts of meat, but it was still like, you know, a lot of processed stuff just because it's coming from 
And my mom, my mom still to this day will tell me she'll get something and she's like, here, Hannah, it's organic. And she's just saying that, like hoping I'll eat it. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> my mom's the same way, except it'll be like from Costco where she's like, look at this cool new product Costco has. Yeah. And it'll look like a health food. I mean, the marketing is so good these yeah. days. And I'm like, Let's look at the ingredients. Yes. <laughs> so we put them down and it just, just because it's organic or gluten-free or whatever, yes. it doesn't mean it, it's it's good for us and nourishing for us. But it's so funny that you brought up the burping because that from the age of like 10 on, like I had the most insane, mm-hmm. monstrous burps you could imagine. And I was like, I, I shocked everyone around me. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe that came out of you. Yep. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> exactly. Exactly the same. And I was actually that girl, like what, maybe like five, six years ago, like when my journey started and I was like diving deeper into research and I was like, why am I burping all the time? Why am I bloated? All this stuff. And there are like articles online saying that you should not drink your water out of a straw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I guess that's a part of it. Or maybe I am just like breathing in through my mouth and I'm like taking in air. <laughs> I was like, maybe that's a part of it. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff online that will, will get a lot of people into spirals. And yeah. I've had a lot of DMs come through like that with just the most like insane stuff that doesn't have really much science to back it up. Um, and it's just not what I've seen true to me in my practice. It's so much deeper than that. It's so multifaceted, like we've been discussing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think like, it, it, try it out. Take out the straw, see if it helps, you know? And like, if that's it, then like, fantastic. <laughs> that's a very easy fix. But it's usually, I mean, when people come to me, they've seen like three doctors. It's like, it's not the straw. Let me tell you. It's just, it's just not. It maybe like some gum, you know, can cause with like the xylitol and things like that. Cause they'll say like chewing gum, like anything that increases the air, but I'm just kind of like, it just feels so silly to me. It feels like such a waste of time and so misleading. So yeah, I mean, once again, a height of mine, it was like burping and bloating. Like, and I was like in college. So I was so embarrassed. I was and I was modeling, I was in the fashion show and everything. So it was just like this vicious cycle of like, I don't want to eat anything because I literally have to be like naked in this room of women getting fitted for clothes. Like, so I just skipped meals. I mean, I was like, I didn't have time to handle it. I was like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. And no one else is dealing with this. I'm so embarrassed that my belly is like so bloated in here, you know? And um, so it was lots of bloating and, you know, as like a 20, 20 year old, I'm like, I just want to be able to like go downtown with my friends and like wear my high waisted jeans, you know, and not, not feel like I can't do that. And why can everyone else do this? You know? So, and then it's like isolating, like there's so much more to it than just the bloating. Those were like the symptoms, you know, but at the height as well, I had really bad anxiety. I was getting insomnia and I lost my period for like two years. So my body was just like undernourished and overstressed in all the ways, mentally, physically, emotionally, all the things. Can I ask how long it took to get your period back? Yeah. So, um, oh gosh, it was kind of like, it was kind of gradual. The interesting thing is I really do think it was like due to the, uh, yes, my stress bucket. And like one of the biggest stressors being under underweight and undernourished. And I will say like, I was like vegan for a period of time. My body did not like that. It just did not, that was not for me. And, um, this, that was also when my issues were really the worst, you know? Cause then I am, I'm like, that's great. I can get all my nutrients from one bell pepper. And it was just like, not, <laughs> it was just like, not, you know, and all oh, the journey, oh, the journey, oh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, 
But to get the, the interesting thing was like when I would come home from college and like, I'm like, I love my dad. My dad is like one of my best friends and I would come home to see him and literally like I would land on the airplane and I would get my period. Like, like my stress was like, wow. You know? And um, that's when I was like, whoa, I think I'm super stressed and I'm not really noticing, you know? So the body is so amazing like that. Like it wouldn't, I wouldn't get it consistently, but it was like my body could feel after I was either home for a few days or like knowing that I was going to be like, my dad is like my biggest like safety, like throughout everything. And he's just such a solid figure in my life. I'm so grateful. And it was like, my body could be like, actually relax. Like you could actually relax in that, in that state, you know? And then when I'd be home, I'd just, we'd just be chilling. I'd be like, you know, cooking at home and laughing with my dad and going on walks. So my body would literally like, I would actually get my period. It was, it was crazy. So, but it was kind of, um, over time. And then I started to kind of get it a bit more frequently, but it wasn't really consistent. I did I think I got it twice in two years. And what's also awful is that when I wasn't getting it, I was like, that's fine. You know, like I was so in the mindset that like my thin body was most important and Ever, all how, the way I looked was most important and I'm not I'm never slowing down that it was like now when I look back I'm like oh my gosh I can't even believe I like let it go that long you know I, I can't believe I didn't take that as a bigger sign I was like it's great not getting my period I don't have to buy tampons I don't have to like deal with the cramps you know it was like great um and then and then now I look back and I'm like oh Hannah like she needs a big hug that girl needs a big big hug so it took a little bit of time but now it's you know super consistent and has been for years yeah and I've had friends who were in fitness competitions mm-hmm. and they would lose weight rapidly. And then they would have like the, their doctors say it's completely normal to lose your cycle during such a deficit, mm-hmm. which I guess is normal. Like mm-hmm. that, that can be the norm of what happens, but doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's good. Yes. And it's, it's healthy. Um, so yeah, just remembering that because your, your, your cycle really is, a sign, a marker of overall health Absolutely. and what's going on there. And it only is going to come when the body feels safe. And that just happens like that emotional stress being lifted or um, being nourished, mm-hmm. having enough fuel in your body so that your body is resilient to, to stress and yeah, feels safe enough to have a monthly flow. Mm-hmm. So when it returned, were was it Bad? Like, what was the health of it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I think it was honestly fine. Like I don't, I've never, I've been lucky enough to never have really bad periods. I know a lot of women struggle with that and women close to me would, would look like thrown up, you know, sometimes around their cycle. Yeah. And, um, I think I was lucky that that wasn't really the case for me. And I, it kind of came back. Okay. It wasn't that bad. There wasn't lots of clots. There wasn't a ton of pain. If I get anything, it's back pain still to this day. Um, and so I I think I was pretty lucky, but I started to like give my body more exactly what you're saying, like increase my stress resilience, you know? And it was, once I started eating meat, it helped helped so much. And, you know, so it was, um, I, I got to the point, like, at, at, once again, at the height of it, it was like, I remember waking up one day and feeling like my teeth, like there was something wrong with my teeth. I was like, do I have a bunch of cavities? What's going on? And then I went into this healthy food store and asked the woman, it was like a local health food store with all the like, you know, earthy, crunchy people that I love so much. And this woman had been working there for 30 years and the whole deal. And um, I was like, I think I need a sensitive toothpaste. And she took one look at me and she goes, are you a vegetarian? And I was like, mm-hmm. 
um, I, I wasn't like, I never called myself a, a vegan, but like, I didn't really consume animal product after watching all of the food documentaries. Mm. Um, that was really the trigger. And I was trying, I thought I was, I did, I was doing what I thought was right, you know, for right. me and, and all those things. And Absolutely. she just looked at me and she said, what blood type are you? And I was like, I'm blood type O. And she goes, honey, you need one steak a week and you'll be doing cartwheels down this street. <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, what? You know, I know. And the thought of eating meat to me was like so horrific at that moment, you know? So there was definitely like a learning curve and process, but I remember having my first bite and it literally felt like medicine. Like it, it felt like, oh my gosh, I can see clearer. Um, so, you know, all of these things played a part in, in my health story. But I think when it came to my period, I was lucky that it came back. And then, you know, I think it came once and then it was like, not the next two months and then it would come and then it started coming more frequently and then it kind of eased into it. And it wasn't every month, but it was like every other month or every two months. And then it just became more regular once I started giving my body what it really needed. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So funny. You brought up the blood type situation all this time. I thought I was blood type O and I was like, I definitely need meat in my diet, the coconut oil, like all of it. Um, or actually is coconut oil. I, I don't remember. Like there's that whole like blood type yeah. diet, which I don't really know like too much about, but, um, I actually just donated blood this past year and I found out I was a positive <laughs> and I felt like I was adopted. Like in that moment, I was like, what? Yeah. Are you serious? So I feel like I've been lied to this entire time. My mom like swore up and down that I'm blood type O and I'm actually just <laughs> A positive, which is so wild to me. Anyway, um, that's awesome. 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 So if there's anyone listening who's really struggling with gut issues, maybe they do have an IBS diagnosis or candida or SIBO, like what other, whatever other um, gut diagnoses there are, what are some words of wisdom that you would share with them? Like maybe like touching on the fear around Mm -hmm. the food that you brought up um, as a model. Yeah. Yeah, I think, oh my gosh, so much to say, but I just had a strategy call with someone um, who like wants to work with me right before this. And, you know, she was told by a nurse after working with her doctor that she was going to have to live in pain every day. I mean, that's literally what the nurse told her. And I'm like horrified by that. I would never say that to anyone. Um, and part of my, I mean, part of my job is holding the vision as well, you know, and, and utilizing the tools to get there. So it's like, I would say that's not true. Like hold, hold on to the vision that you can get better and that the body really does know what it's doing. And we have just kind of separated ourselves from our body's own intuitive knowing so much with like this modern day of living and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't have this perfectly either. You know, my stress is too high and I'm, I definitely run around all the time, all of that. And I run a business. So no one's, no one's perfect, but like we have separated so much from our body's own intuitive knowing. And this is what's caused this kind of dysfunction. So know that your body knows what it's doing, know that you can get better. And if you're, if you don't feel heard and seen by your current practitioners, doctors, physicians, whoever it is, I don't care who it is, find someone else because that's what you deserve. And that's, what's going to help you get better. Um, don't take, Oh, it's just this, you know, you'll be in pain for the rest of your life as, as the final word, always get someone else's opinion. Um, and really just, you know, get honest with yourself about all of these things that could be impacting your health as well. Like, are you taking care of yourself? 
are you eating enough? Are you sleeping enough? Are you falling asleep watching Netflix every night? Are you glued to your cell phone? Like take, take a look at some of these things that we don't always like allow ourselves to get super honest about and really look at um, and see how they, if they are affecting you and yeah, hold that, hold that vision and find the right practitioner, find someone who's there to listen to you um, and really guide you through this process. You don't need to do it alone. Like so, so much of my journey, I was trying to do it alone and it's really a waste of time and it's so stressful. (laughs) It's so stressful to try to learn all of this on your own. And I'm like, it took me 10 years to learn this stuff, you know? So it's just get, get help. You deserve that. You deserve to invest in yourself, time, money, energy, all of that. Whether that's with me or someone else, like as long as you align with someone, get that help and get the guidance and, and look for someone who really listens to you and sees you and gets you and wants to help. And that's what's going to take you to the other side. Mm, that was beautiful. I love that. I, um, I love what you said about holding the vision. That was the only thing that got me through the toughest of times. Yeah. I remember stumbling across the work, across the work of uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza mm-hmm. and you know, the holistic psychologist and like future self journaling. And I was, I, I never had imagined my future self. And when you're in that place and that deep, dark place, it's yeah. really challenging to even picture yourself, like not feeling so sick, so sick and crippled with all of your chronic symptoms, especially if they're gut related, you're just like, you're low on energy, you're low on creativity. Like everything is just low, 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 low. So we encourage you to I don't know, just dedicate some time, like one minute a day. Mm-hmm. Just picture that, picture that version of yourself. What does she smell like? What is she, um, what is she doing? What does she have around her? What, what does she feel like? Mm-hmm. And really hone in on those sensations. And then just, it just, it takes you there. Like when you feel that and you embody that, mm-hmm. I feel like you, you already there and enjoying the process of this too. Because mm-hmm. it's not just even in my work, like sometimes I'm, I want to be impatient with my work and just get to the outcome. Um, but really enjoying the process is is it like mm-hmm. that? That is it. And remembering that this is all happening for you mm-hmm. and trusting and believing that the body knows exactly what it's doing. Um, because so often when I was in it, I was like, my body has no idea what it's doing. Like it's confused. Yeah. It is like it is just not doing what it's supposed to do. But it was. It was, it was doing everything in its power to keep me alive. And thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Even though she was, she, she just didn't have like, she didn't know everything at that time. Like you said, it took you 10 years to learn all this stuff. Same here. Like I did not yeah. get here overnight. It took me years to get to where I am. So there's no possible way that we could just know everything in one instance so giving the body time, trusting that it has its own timeline and not rushing that. So, yes. uh, yeah. And That's- and sometimes we go to force it. You know, we really mm-hmm. go to force it. It's like, I'm constipated. How do I force the bowel movement? You know, it's like, oh, yeah. and there's so much of this energy that's just like gripping and controlling and forcing. Yes. And, um, you know, I would say, like, I, I get it. I so get it. Like I am like quote unquote type A, whatever, you know, if you want to take that on as part of your personality or not, teach their own. But it's like, I like 
You know, I run a business for a reason. I like leadership. I like managing a lot at one time. Like that's who I am. And also I have to check my stress all the time, you know, but it's like, so I like to control and due to all my, my childhood and everything, like I want to be in control because it's where I feel the safest. So I get it. I get wanting to force it. I get wanting to eat things to control your body. I get wanting to force the bowel movement with the sanity and everything, you know, but it's like, the body knows the body knows like when we're it's there's energetics to that you know when you're like oh my gosh I'm having a flare how do I immediately cool it down (laughs) you know it's like can we let the body settle can what what if we just allowed the body to do its thing and we like got some sleep you know what if we allowed the body to do its thing and like just drank some like herbal tea and like went to bed earlier and like put our phone down you know and I'm not I'm not saying that to minimize people's pain either because the pain is so real and the discomfort is so real so I'm not saying like just put your phone down you know but it's like that's not what I mean either but it's like can we release the grip can we release the grip and the control over the situation and really trust the process we yeah. I walk my students through that like in my healing guts and shaking butts program like the first module is literally like future self-visioning and walking them through this and and asking them, how do you feel about this program before you've even started? Are you doubting the program already? <laughs> you know, like, are you doubting? Like, your energy has to be in this as well. And I'm not here to, like, sway your opinion. Always use your intuition. You will always know what's best for your body. But, like, you've got to believe in this process. And I will, I'll get those women who try to control every bit of it. You know, they are, they are the type A. So they're like, wait, why am I taking this? And how many am I taking? And this isn't working. This isn't working. And I'm like, I hear you. And I totally, like, am in deep devotion to your involvement in this process and also trust girl loosen those reins you know put put take yourself off the whip of like it's not getting better quick enough it's not getting better quick enough and allow the space for the healing to really take place so yes I mean I love I mean I love 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 some future (laughs) self-visioning I did it this morning I do it all the time Um, and it is hard to access it in the depths. It's really hard. And it feels silly to even like when someone's saying that to you, you're like, yeah, easy for you to say, you know? Yes. And I, and I hear that and I'm, I so hold space for that. And I would say to kind of piggyback off what you said with the taking the minute for yourself, like ask yourself really honestly, you know, if, especially if you have taken the antimicrobials and you've eaten the paleo diet or whatever, it's like, ask yourself really honestly, am I doing something every day that makes me happy? Like, am I doing something every day just for my own joy? Or am I putting that completely on the back burner? And most of the time when I ask my students and my clients, like, what brings you joy? Sometimes they don't even know how to answer that. So you need to make sure that you're carving out this time for you to just be. And that is as important as taking the probiotic. That is as important as, you know, eating the beef liver or whatever it is. Like you've got to make space for yourself in this process as well to even listen into those intuitive hits of "Hmm, this is working for my body or this isn't working for my body. Sometimes we can't even hear it, you know? So um, you got this, use yourself as your own, your own expander, your own like visionary and, and really trust the process and use your intuition. Of course, you'll know when a practitioner feels right. You'll know when a practitioner doesn't, you'll know when something's working, you'll, you'll know when it's not, but loosen the grip a little bit. Oh, I get that. I feel every word that you just said, like, I'm just thinking back on like my, my past self and how I felt in those moments. And like, like you said, we get it. We get how hard and challenging that is. And for some, so many women I actually just had a conversation with one of my clients this morning about trusting mm-hmm. because it's so hard to embody that when 
time and time again, you felt failed by maybe another practitioner yeah. or maybe another program or maybe a doctor, you know, whatever it is, or, or maybe you feel like your body is failing you. Um, and so it, it, it really takes like, I think kind of revisiting those moments mm-hmm. in a safe space. Um, remembering how you felt in those moments and then trusting why this is different, mm-hmm. how this is different. Um, even if you're not sure of how the outcome will, will turn out, like, can I just dedicate three months or whatever, how long the time frame is just being here open and receptive to be willing enough to be able to try something new. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why you felt called to it in the first place. Yes. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing it, you know, at all. So it can, it, it's challenging and we get that, but I think, yeah, just doing everything that we just said can be really helpful. Um, so that was awesome. Thank you so much, Hannah. I want to talk about your program, Healing Guts and Shaking Buds. Tell us about it. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, yes. Oh my gosh, when I was naming this program, I thought it was so silly, but people love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, this is really truly me. Um, because I, I do believe as well that like, you know, these symptoms, the bloating and the pain and whatever, like there's so much when these things aren't there, you can really step into your authentic self more, you know, you can, you, and you just feel more joy. You are dancing around. Like, you know, I'm like, if you see me, I'm like, like, like literally skipping down the street. (laughs) I'm like, so happy to be here. You know what I mean? And not, not every day, but it's like, I don't have those issues weighing me down anymore. So anyway, um, but, and I love to dance. And so yeah, Healing Guts and Shaken Butts is, um, we just made it 12 weeks. Actually, it used to be 10, but I wanted to give the the ladies a little bit more support. So it's a 12-week program. Um, I walk my students. It's, a, it's like a combination, honestly, of a group program, an online course, and one-on-one work. Like we bring all of that in there. So um, we walk you through really my step-by-step process to transforming your digestive health. So we cover everything from like making sure you're properly nourished and minerals and stress management and food foundations and blood sugar balance. And then we also talk about, you know, gut lining and we talk about um, digestive output. So stomach acid and things like that, gut bacteria. Um, and of course, stress management, mindfulness. Um, it's all, we really, we really talk about all of it in here because it all matters. And um, we also, I have uh, two functional registered dietitians on my team as well that we run GM stool analysis tests with the students. And um, then they meet with the diet, one of my dietitians and they get two consults with them too. So you'll get a complete protocol analysis based on your results. Um, and then you'll get a follow-up consult as well with them. So you're getting this combo I I try to bring the best of everything. Like you have the group support, you've got like the sisterhood aspect of it and the people that understand and they see you and they get, they get it. They get the, everything we've been talking about, the pain, the dark times, all of that, the embarrassment, the nervousness, everything that comes with it. So you're really supported by people who really understand you because this journey can be so isolating and, and lonely. I was so lonely in the, in the thick of it. Um, and then you get, you know, all of my processes, my cookbook, like so many resources. And then you also do get that individualized component, um, with the testing and the analysis and protocols. So we, we really package it up to, um, really, really thoroughly and holistically support, support women through this process. Um, and I do like coaching sessions in there and Q and A's and, 
um, it's, it's a really wonderful program. I'm so, so proud of it. We get, we get women some incredible results. And I mean, honestly, the women get themselves the incredible results because they do the work, you know, Um, I'm just the, I'm just the guide. They do the work. So, so yeah, it's, that's my program and it's wonderful. And we're opening it again, um, in January of 2022. Um, and we open it a few times a year. So yeah, if any of this resonated with you, we'd love to, we'd love to help you inside of that container. And, um, yeah, I'm so, I'm, I'm just so proud of it and I love it so much. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. We'll be sure to link that, um, in the show notes below, along with your Instagram handle and your website. Um, but I think that's, all we have for today, Hannah. So thank you so much for joining us on the functional fertility podcast. And until next time, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If the episode resonated with you, feel free to share it with a friend and give the podcast a five-star review and rating as this allows us to grow and continue having incredible guests on the show. Thank you so much for your support until next time.